Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The grace and the peace of our Lord be with all of you here today in the sanctuary and in the Family Life Center, the rest of our church family worshiping there. I want to welcome you into this time of study and also those who are worshiping online who may be away from home or uh, worshiping some, some other place, dialing in, tuning in to us here today. You are welcome into this study. I want to encourage you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles uh, for this uh, eighth part of this ongoing series, um, That Kind of Church. We're going to study uh, Matthew chapter 6. If you would turn with me, please, to Matthew chapter 6. We will be uh, beginning in verse 19. As you're turning there to Matthew 6, 19, let me just take a moment here and and recognize um, uh, my heart and my head are thinking about um, our worship pastor, Glenn Crossweight, and his wife, Catherine. They're uh, at the hospital this morning. Uh, Catherine has had a flare-up of a health issue there, diverticulitis, and and is uh, being uh, treated, being seen there. And we're concerned about her, and so our prayers are lifted up. And the reason I say that right now is because, you know, Glenn, you and Catherine are probably watching right now, even from the hospital room. See, Glenn and Catherine, they go to church even on vacation. I mean, I don't even go to church on vacation, but there they are, probably. So God bless you, Glenn. Catherine, we are praying for you, and we love you. Uh, But today, we turn our attention to wisdom as it comes from uh, the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There your heart will be also. The reading of the sacred word, it's reliable and it can be trusted. Let's pray together. God, in this moment, as we gather around the sacred text, we recognize that it's you who are the living word, attempting to live and breathe and resurrect within the heart of every person not only in this hour, in this space here, but all over your, your good world. But Lord, we confess to you that in order for you to rise up from within us, in order for us to be transformed, we have to acknowledge that we have carried into this time together a thousand different burdens, concerns, anxieties, hopes, fears, doubts, And they rest upon the minds and the hearts of all of your worshipers. And and our prayer 
is that during this time when we are together before you, you would relieve us of those burdens long enough to catch a glimpse of what true trust is in you. To be reminded of what it feels like to lean upon the everlasting arms. To not worry about our lives, but to yield them before the one who gave us life. And so we pray that you would bless the words that proceed from my mouth as we attempt to interpret your sacred word so that none of us remains the same. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray, amen. The two great truth-tellers in our lives are money and time. Money and time. Another way to say it, the two great truth-tellers that know more about who you are and what you value and where your priorities are Another way to say it are the truth tellers are our calendar and our bank statement. The calendar and the bank statement. Now why, when I start this conversation this way, because I know a lot of you are thinking, is that how long the sermon's going to be? <laughs> you know you are thinking it, come on. And it is a two-hour glass. Just... Saying, but why would we start it this way? Because here is the, the, the cold hard truth. You and I give a lot of lip service to what we say means much to us, to what we say we value, what we esteem, what we honor, what we consider worthy in our lives. We, we say that what matters is, is family and, and faith. We say what matters is this church that we love so deeply, JCBC. I'm a JCBC member, right? But we can say all of these things with our lips, but the truth tellers that bear witness to the reality is the calendar and the bank statement. They tell the truth. Now, why would we be talking about this? Well, because we're in this series, part eight, in this series called That Kind of Church. And we say that of the core values that shape who we are, we've been looking at the core values. We've been talking about um, uh, excellence in worship, theological depth and diversity, authentic uh, Christian community, the gospel of Christ and the growth of his church, the courageous congregation, all of these core values that give shape an heir to the, the kind of ethos of JCBC. We've been talking about these, but today, the core value that we're focusing on is responsible Christian stewardship. And this is how we talk about responsible Christian stewardship. This is, this is how we say it. Believing God's grace to be a generous gift of unmerited favor 
And further, believing that maturing in faith demands using what God has given us for God's own glory, we value responsible Christian stewardship of all God's gifts. This morning, we could talk about a million gifts. We could talk about a million ways that God gifts us in this, what uh, Mary Oliver, the poet, might call this one wild and precious life. But today, I want to just focus on two of those extraordinary gifts, the gifts of time and money. And if we are courageous enough, like we say we are, we will let our calendars and our bank statements preach some truth to us about how we're doing at being good stewards of God's good gifts. So we begin with the first truth teller, the calendar. Now, I'm going to confess to you. This is a confession. We can do that in church, right? Confession by the pastor time. My calendar is crammed. I mean, it's jam-packed. I mean, if, if, if you were to see all the different colored dots that represent the different kinds of calendars on my phone or on my MacBook, you would say, this guy needs to, to get a grip. He's got a lot of things going on, but can I just confess to you that I take a kind of sick sense of pride over how busy my life is? It's not good. It's not healthy, it's not sustainable, but I will tell you, when I pull my phone out, and you can almost see it from where you are because the font that I use, my eyesight's so bad, you can almost read it from the back of the room. When I pull up my calendar, I almost hope somebody's looking over my shoulder because what I don't say, but in places in my shadow I feel is I hope someone sees how busy I am because here's the illusion, here is the illusion. If I'm busy, that means I'm important. If I'm busy, that must mean somebody needs me. Do you know that the illusion is that busyness demonstrates importance? But that's not true. The truth is busyness, a crammed calendar, doesn't demonstrate importance. It demonstrates your incapacity to say no to some things. It, it demonstrates the incapacity to set boundaries that are healthy and sensible and sustainable. Now listen, you, you say, oh, come on, Sean, but what you don't understand is that my calendar, Sean, is filled with all kinds of urgent things. Everything on my calendar is important. It's urgent. You don't understand. I'm like, yeah, I do. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I know urgent things. And not only that, but I'm a, a social Enneagram type two with a strong three wing, which may not mean anything to you, but it basically means this. I can't say no to anybody. I'm like, hey, you got a minute? Sure. Hey, could you, could you do the invocation at this event we're doing? Absolutely. Could you be the guest preacher at our revival, sir? Absolutely. Sure. No problem. Hey, can I have about seven hours of your time on Saturday? No worries. Yes. I'm not doing anything. You know? Right? In fact, back in April... Back in April, and I'm talking to you now, I'm hoping that I can be confessional about a crammed calendar. And I know that I'm the only one. I know that I'm the only one in this region with a crammed calendar. But can I just tell you how I tried to fix it back in April? Back in April, I said to myself, this is not sustainable. I've got to create a new discipline. So in April, early April, I started a new practice. 
And I have this, this stationery on my desk. It has my name on it. I write notes on it and stuff. And, and, and I, I pulled out a card and I said, I'm going to start a new practice. And every day I am going to, to practice saying no to one worthy thing. Out of all the things that, that are requested, I want to practice saying no to one worthy thing a day. I started that in April. Um, here's the card. I think on that Monday I said, I said no to preaching a renewal service in Raleigh, North Carolina. Good job. On that Tuesday, I said no to taking a position in, in, in the next class at Leadership Johns Creek. I said, not, not this go around, no. And that was it. And from then, I've been like, yes, man, uh, since April. But here's the rub. Here's the trouble with a crammed calendar. If you allow your calendar to be crammed with nothing but the urgent then there is no room for the worthy. There is a difference between the urgent and the worthy. And the trouble is, it's difficult to discern between the two. It's difficult sometimes to create the space in your day-to-day rhythm to discern the difference between what is really necessary of my time and what is not. Because if you and I are to be good stewards of time, we have to recognize that we don't have an infinite amount of time. And, and I wonder if there is a way in the midst of our limited time to break in to the predictable boundaries of a 24-hour period, a seven-day week, a 30, 31 day, month, I wonder if there's a way to break into the predictability of time and create some space where we can be stewards of something worthy. This is where it's important to remember the two kinds of time we keep. You know, there is really two kind, there are two kinds of time, and we've talked about it before, and I'm going to keep talking about it until we fix it. There is chronos time you know what chronos time is is from chronology where we get the word chronology it's chronological time it means like clock time it's time that you can record on a clock it's measured by seconds and minutes and hours and days chronos time is what's falling through this glass chronos time are the blue and green dots on your eye calendar it's chronos time we don't have infinite amounts of chronos time but there's another kind of time and it's measured in a different way it's kairos time kairos time is a different kind of time altogether kairos is holy time it's time that breaks into time in which it's almost suspended in and of itself and it almost exists for its own purpose it's those moments when you become fully aware that you are surrounded by the mystery of love by the power of God's presence. It's, it's those moments when you recognize that I am truly in a moment that is worth my time, my heartbeat, my breath. Because there are moments in this life that God has designed for us to enjoy, where we laugh until our cheeks hurt, where we, where we share love and make love and be giddy about being alive and we marvel at the mystery that, that we exist, that we exist together see that that's kairos time 
And if chronos time is measured in minutes, chronos, uh, kairos time is measured in moments. And the question we sometimes carry around, maybe without even articulating it, is how in the world can I squeeze some kairos time into my chronos? Because the truth is it won't happen by itself. You have to, it's called the stewardship of time. You have to create some space in your chronos for kairos to emerge. You have to create space in your chronos for kairos, holy time, to emerge. It means you've got to protect some days, some hours, and you lock it down. Nothing happens on Sunday mornings except this because that's where I go to get refueled. That's where I go to get renewed. That's where I go on Sunday mornings to see that I am not the only one hurting and feeling alone. And I get re-energized by the power of a spirit that is actually alive and moving through us. So nothing touches Sunday morning time. That's protected time for Kairos to emerge. I gotta brag on some of you, because some of you were at a ball game last night. I mean, a really big ball game, record attendance ball game in Athens, so I hear. I know some of you didn't get home until like one, two o'clock in the morning. And I saw you here preparing for Sunday school. And I saw you here getting ready to lead worship. I saw you here before the bulk of us was here. You know why? Because somewhere along the way, you discovered the truth that I'm trying to proclaim is that you've got to create some space in your chronos for kairos to emerge. Nothing touches this space. Nothing touches this time. That's called being a steward of time. Can I ask you to ask your calendar? What does your calendar say to you about the kairos moments that you have planned? If you were to open it up and look right now, have you, have you scheduled in your calendar any space that is to be protected for holy time? That's the truth teller. But it's not the only truth teller. See, the calendar is not the only truth teller about how we are being stewards of this wild and, and, uh, this wild and, and precious life that God has given us. The other truth teller is the bank statement. <laughs> now, can you handle another confession by your pastor? So every month we try to do budget. My, my wife and I, Laura and I, try to do our budget meeting. We try to do budget, and here's what it kind of looks like. You know, we're sitting on the couch, she's on the love seat, I'm in a chair, and we've got our laptops open, and we're, we're trying to reconcile the expenses. Did we stay in our budget that we had scripted? Would Dave Ramsey be happy with us, you know? Now, listen, here's the image I want you to get in your mind. Now, Laura, Laura doesn't actually like wear an old school like banker's visor with green visor, you know, with the, the banker's sleeves, you know. She doesn't actually have an old school counting machine, you know, you know. But that's what I see when I'm sitting in my chair and she's over here doing her thing, and she says to me, I'm seeing the visor, you know, and like the, the reading glasses, and I'm, I'm seeing like the sleeve protectors. When she turns to me and says, ching, mm, I, see, uh, I see that the uh, pumpkin spice latte's back in town. 
I mean, what am I, what I'm supposed to do? I mean, those things are good. Your bank statement will out you. Your bank statement will tell the truth, not just about your expenses, but about what you value, about what you prioritize. And you say to me, well, but Sean, come on now. In my bank statement, I've got all these bills, these very important expenses, these bills. I've got to pay the bills just like you. What, you don't have bills? No, I've got bills, and they're all very important. Very important, like, like the mortgage, utilities, phone. You know, Very important bills, like this awesome leaf blower that I bought recently. And it's got collecting dust because I pay somebody to cut my grass and blow the grass off it now. So, hmm. No, very important bills like this, like this um, kind of swanky gym that I go to to work out. You know, the membership costs money and it's very important, right? You got to stay in shape. And, but when I'm there working out, I have to listen on my AirPods uh, to some Spotify. And I don't want to listen to commercials, so I have to pay for the premium account on, on Spotify, right? I mean, come on. These are the needs of life. And, and then if I go home, i got to have a Netflix account because that, where else am I going to watch the good shows, right? So these are just very important life necessities. <laughs> no amens on any of that, huh? <laughs> come on. But the truth is, no matter what our expenses are, we have a tendency to define the essentials in the same way that we define the urgent when we're talking about time. And the same truth applies. If we're not careful, we can so cram time with the urgent that we make no room for the worthy in the same way that we can so cram our account with expenses that we deem worthy that at the end we have nothing, we literally would have nothing left to give to that which is worthy. What does your bank statement say about how you value your church? And I mean that as a respectful from one uh, sojourner to another. I'm just asking, is there evidence if we were to pull up your account and put it on the big screen, which we wouldn't do. Be kind of cool though, wouldn't it? <laughs> Come on. If we were to pull it up, would there be evidence to demonstrate that you value your congregation the way that you say you value your, your congregation? There is a truth telling to our bank statement. Something else I want to share with you a little bit here, and I'm going to move a uh, little piggy uh, to, to make sure I tell you the right way. So wherever it is that you spend your hard-earned money, that's, that's between you and God. Come on. But the truth that our bank statements echo is the truth of Christ who said, where your treasure is, there your hearts will be also. And you're like, oh, come on, Sean, here we go. Here comes the tithing conversation. You know, no, kind of. Like, well, Sean, you know, the Bible doesn't really teach tithing, does it? No, the Bible doesn't say give 10% to the church. No, the Bible does not teach a 10% tithe to the church. The Bible teaches to give way more than 10%. So if we want to go there, I mean, the fact is, in the Old Testament, the tithe is not just 10%. I mean, there was a 10% Levite tithe. We talked about that when we studied Leviticus. Do you remember? 
right? There is also on top of the 10%, uh, a festival tithe of 10%. On top of that, there was another 10% every third year called a poor tithe, which if you break it down annually, is 3% a year, so it's about 23% already. On top of that, there is also what's called the gleanings tithe, which you leave a portion of your field fallow so that the poor among you may eat freely. Well, that's income that you're giving away for somebody who who is eating off of your hard-earned work, and that's another 2%. Now you're up to 25%. But on top of the 25%, there was what was known as free will offerings that could range anywhere from 5 to 10% more. So now we're talking about 30, 35% of a person's hard-earned annual income given back as an expression of what they think is worthy. And to them, being a part of the body, the faith, the, the being a part of the family of God was worthy of their sacrifice. So what are you saying, Sean? We should give like 35%? No, way more than that. <laughs> because... When Jesus, we are New Testament people. Sean, right? Isn't that Old Testament? Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. Because everything Jesus ever did with the Old Testament was not diminish it, but expand it. I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Think about what he did with murder. He said, you've heard it said to the old timers, to the ancients, don't murder. But I say to you, do not be angry because anger leads to bitterness and bitterness leads to wrath and wrath leads to murder. So it's the same thing. So expand the Old Testament law into something that requires even more of you. In the same way, Jesus said, look, you've heard it said don't commit adultery and that's great. But I say don't even look upon a woman with lust because if you look that way, you begin to imagine that way. If you imagine that way, you begin to act that way until you've committed it already in your heart so he takes the old testament principle and stretches it expands it to include more of us to require more of us and he does the same thing with money he says do you have two coats because if you have two coats and you know someone who has no coat Give them one of yours. Now, I know they are nice coats, and I know one goes with one pair of shoes and one goes with another, but if you have two coats and you know someone has none, well, see, suddenly, that's 50%. And he's standing near the temple, and he points out this widow who has two uh, copper coins, and that's all she has to her name, and she puts them in the coffer, and he says, there's the kingdom. This woman gave everything. Well, everything is 100%. So so what are you saying, Sean? I'm saying that according to the ethic of Jesus, true stewardship of money is not just about a dollar amount. It's about getting in a rhythm where you completely relinquish more and more of your life away to the one who loves you and died upon a cross for you until there is nothing left but to go home and be with him eternally. To give more and more and more of ourselves is the rhythm of the stewardship of money. Now, Laura and I, we have had a long journey to get to the place where we give to our church. We give 10% to our church, but we give 10% on our gross, our combined income we put together. And as a minister, we're self-employed. That means we pay all of our taxes. That means before we pay our taxes, we take that number and we calculate 10% of that number to give back to this church because we love this church and we believe in what this church is doing. 
But can I tell you that we didn't start there. Do you know where we started? Broke. We, when we were together, we had so much debt. We were swimming in debt. We couldn't rub two nickels together. We didn't give money. And God wanted us out of debt. And we worked to get out of debt. And once we were out of debt, we didn't start giving a gross tithe. You know what we started giving? About 1%. And then by faith, we took chances and risked the next year giving 2%. 3%. Because the principle of grace is always at work. When Christ looks upon you about where you are in life, whether we're talking about time or money or anything else, Christ always meets you where you are, not where you should be. But when Christ meets you where you are, Christ loves you too much to leave you there. So by grace, we move with Christ to new levels of sacrifice and faith and trust. I wonder what would happen if not only did you look deeply into your calendar and did a a, a heart audit. But what if you looked into your bank account and did a heart audit to ask of yourself, where in my giving can I expand and trust God even more? Where can I make space in my expenses? Where can I ruthlessly eliminate what I thought was urgent so that I can actually give to what is worthy? Dallas Willard, I've told you before, he said, when it comes to time, we have to come to a place where we ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. What would it take for you to ruthlessly eliminate something so that you create space for kairos? In the same way, I may even borrow Willard's words and say, ruthlessly eliminate erroneous expenses from your life. Why? Not to save more, but so that you create space and the capacity to give more back to the God who gave it all to you in the first place. Now, can you imagine what would happen if our church was filled with those who ruthlessly eliminated hurry and created space to show up, to volunteer, to serve, to go, to be present? And what if our church was filled with people who ruthlessly eliminate the erroneous expenses so that it creates space to give generously to the ministry that we all believe in? Can you imagine the levels of good that we could wreak upon the world? (laughs) Talk about wreaking havoc. Well, we could wreak love in ways that we have never imagined. That's the stewardship of time and money. And it begins with your calendar and my calendar. It begins with your bank statement and mine. And you know why we can do that? Because we're that kind of church. Let's pray together. God, we stop for just a moment. to acknowledge that everything that we have and have ever had or will ever have is because of your loving kindness. You have graced us with the capacity to to make time, to earn money, so that we might live fully and justly in this good world that you love so much that you died to redeem it. But we recognize this day that it may require something of us. It may require a complete relinquishment 
to the lordship of your love, to the lordship of your son, O oh God. We pray that you would show us what it looks like in critical and specific ways. For some, Lord, it may mean that, that someone is waiting to move forward to this day, to join the fellowship of this church, to yield their life to you, maybe for the first time ever. If that is the case, we pray that your spirit would so move in them that they would step out in faith and discover for themselves just how trustworthy you are. We pray that in the name of Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.